Hello and welcome to our podcast. I'm Dr. Mark White, and today I will be discussing an important concept. It's something that I am certain the majority of practitioners working today still struggle with, and that issue is how do we optimally design treatments to address patient problems? That, of course, depends on how we define problems, which is an entirely separate discussion. For now, I want to address how we describe and execute what it is that we do for effective treatment as precisely and meaningfully as possible. That's the essence of treatment design. But first, why ask this question at all? Doesn't attending physical therapy school and completing clinical rotations in the big three practice domains of outpatient orthopedics, inpatient acute care, and neurological rehab prepare us for future practice? The answer to the second question helps answer the first question. As a clinical instructor for both U.S.-based and international students, and someone who has worked with many new graduates as well as having quizzed them on this topic, the answer to the second question is that clinicals truly only prepare one to be minimally prepared for practice. Emphasis on minimally. In my survey of students and new graduates, many of whom are from top five physical therapy schools, I repeatedly find that the important skill of treatment design is uniformly lacking. Students are generally very good at describing the patient's problem, but uniformly bad at describing substantively what to do and why. As one first-year post-grad clinician commented to me, I'm confident that I can diagnose a patient's problem and tell them what is wrong, but I'm embarrassed to admit that I don't have a clue about how to then treat their problem. And my friend, who graduated from a different PT program, says the same thing. The rehabilitation science literature is filled with studies that ought to tell us what we need to know. The PICO template for scouring the literature to find studies that help us understand this process better, i.e. treatment, tells us to concentrate on the population or pathology of interest, the intervention or interventions applied, whether or not a comparison group or groups are included, and outcome measures, which allow us to assess the effects of a given intervention. We can find studies that are of potential value. That's not the problem. However, research based on a review of works in the top six physical therapy journals tells us that fully 42% or nearly half of the 12 important parameters described by the tidier checklist as necessary to describe complex physical therapy interventions are missing or are so poorly described that they may as well be missing from peer-reviewed published science about said complex intervention. Among the most frequently missing pieces of data, treatment procedures used descriptions of who delivered the treatment procedures, descriptions of how the program was customized or modified on an as-needed basis to accommodate patient needs, and this was especially bad with 0% of studies describing this particular parameter. There's also descriptions of treatment fidelity, which are missing, and an assessment of actual achieved fidelity, or they were poorly described. So what is a complex intervention? Exercise is one example. Manual therapy, when it is combined with other primary interventions, but not necessarily when described by itself, is another. Work by McCambridge and colleagues published in the Journal of Orthopedic and Sports Physical Therapy in 2021 entitled, As Reporting on Physical Therapy Interventions Improved in Two Decades, An Analysis of 140 Trials Reporting on 225 Interventions, informs us of this reality. 
Furthermore, this is not the only study of its kind. As the title alludes to, a prior study asked this same question. It arrived at the same conclusion. Our treatment descriptions in physical therapy are so poor, treatments cannot be meaningfully replicated. In the general body of research into orthopedic interventions and neurologic rehabilitation interventions, almost half of the critical content describing treatment is missing. In the specific subdomain of manual therapy, 92% of intervention description is missing. So, what is the busy clinician to do? After all, it looks like it is going to take a while for the scientific literature to improve its ways. This is where courses like what we offer at CEUResource.org come into the picture. It is my belief, one which I shared with the director of the PT school I attended, that we need to show students, new graduates, and often even seasoned clinicians examples of treatment programs, discuss the rationale for what was done, and be as detailed as possible to communicate both, one, the overall rehab plan and rationale, including specific treatment techniques, dosages, advancements, and two, the changes that might need to be made on the fly depending on individual patient circumstances, including criteria for said changes. This is an evidence-based, pragmatic, and rational approach to the complex problem of treatment design. It does not mean we are limited in any way to only the interventions described, and it is certainly not, strictly speaking, a protocol, but it is a plan. Moreover, it is a plan built upon a foundation of science. As a byproduct of this kind of demonstration, especially one based on real-world outcomes with patients, what is possible is demonstrated in clear enough detail that it can be replicated. This can be compared and contrasted with what the available scientific literature has to say about the particular problems we are dealing with. What is also clear is that for any given disorder, practitioners are free to introduce any technique they have a well-considered professional opinion about. At present, it seems there is a bit of a stigma about this. However, as Dr. Sackett reminded us, professional opinion, though at the bottom of the hierarchy of evidence, is still evidence. Clinical pearls derive from professional observations. They are a recognized part of the practice of medicine. They do not yet enjoy the status of peer-reviewed research validation, but they are a step in that direction. Many of the treatment ideas in use today begin as nothing more than clinical observations, such as McKenzie's method, Mulligan's mobilizations with movements, and Dr. Chris Power's patellofemoral subluxation management via hip rotational control are but a few examples. The main takeaways from today's talk are, one, at present, generally speaking, the science won't save you if you are looking for complete descriptions of treatment programs. Two, at present, generally, the science will save you if you are looking for a compelling treatment rationale, but it will require some translational effort from the individual clinician. Three, Knowledge pathways to complete treatment programs exist, but they are mostly outside of academia and published science. They exist instead in business institutions and organizations of various kinds that seek to either partially or less often completely fill the treatment program design gaps. Four, most of the treatment effects and outcomes described by the research literature are products of underdeveloped treatment program designs that cannot be replicated. 
Consequently, any effort to implement similar treatments will suffer from fidelity issues and therefore yield underwhelming results. This may also account for the generally small effect sizes associated with such studies. In addition, the lack of descriptions regarding how to customize a program to individual patient needs is no doubt a contributing factor for the observed small effect sizes too. 5. Comprehensive Neuromusculoskeletal Rehabilitation Treatment Program Design is Complex. We are aiming at a moving target, or even multiple targets, that change as time and treatment effects go by. 6. We can do better. I will have more to say about this topic in the future. I'm Dr. Mark White. That concludes our talk for now. Thanks for listening. And, as always, may you and your patients be well. That's all for today.